good afternoon. Uh, I'm Hussain Haqqani, uh, director here at the Hudson Institute for South and Central Asia, um, and a senior fellow. Um, it's a pleasure to have you all here uh, for a discussion on the U.S. options in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Those of you who follow the news uh, like I do probably know that this morning the United States used a, a relatively heavy duty. It's been described in the media as the uh, most lethal non-nuclear bomb in the American arsenal uh, at a location right across from the Pakistani border in Afghanistan, ostensibly to destroy uh, a, uh, a, a um, series of tunnels uh, that were supposed to be used by ISIS in Khurasan. Um, and uh, that brings us to an important question. Uh, the United States has been in Afghanistan since 9-11, right after 9-11. It went in to eliminate Al-Qaeda's sanctuary, which was provided by the brutal Taliban regime. Uh, Fifteen years later, the Taliban are still able to conduct terrorist attacks in Pakistan, uh, reputedly uh, from safe havens across the border in Pakistan. And the region now hosts jihadist groups affiliated with both Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, is there a permanent solution to the problem, or is it all about just managing uh, the problem of jihadism and extremism? Uh, the Trump administration is currently conducting a policy review on how best to break the stalemate in Afghanistan. You might recall that a few days ago, General Nicholson, who commands American forces in Afghanistan, used the term stalemate. And by that, he meant that while the Afghan uh, government controls all the major cities, the Taliban are still able uh, to cause problems and serve as a uh, destabilizing factor in much of the countryside. So. Array of uh, uh, options is currently being reviewed by the administration. Uh, I understand that it is already public knowledge that the National Security Advisor, uh, General McMaster, will be traveling to Afghanistan and Pakistan within the next two, three days, uh, and possibly also to India, to try and see what policies the United States must implement in the area. Uh, among the solutions that have been uh, put out, uh, are extreme solutions like an outright withdrawal from Afghanistan and a continuation of business as usual with Pakistan uh, and letting Afghanistan fall to the Taliban if it has to because some people in Washington think that maybe Afghanistan is not as important. On the other hand, there are those who say the United States needs to fight it out in Afghanistan. And if that requires a tougher stance towards Pakistan to the extreme of designating Pakistan a state sponsor of terrorism, then so be it. Now, decisions made about policy toward Afghanistan and Pakistan will have a crucial impact on the outcome of the global war on terrorism and in dealing with Islamist extremism. And again, notwithstanding what terminology we want to use for the global war on terrorism or whether we want to use the word Islamist extremism or not, the fact remains we all know what we are talking about. Uh, we are really fortunate today that we have two very good panelists 
uh, Ambassador Zalme Khalilzad really needs no introduction, but as you always know, when somebody says so-and-so needs no introduction, that is always the prelude to an introduction. Mm. <laughs> Ambassador Khalilzad was uh, the United States' permanent representative to the United Nations from 2007 to 2009. Prior to that, he served as U.S. Ambassador to Iraq and then also U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan. He also served as United States uh, President's Special Envoy to Afghanistan from 2001 to 2003. So he has been intimately connected uh, to the uh, project of stabilizing Afghanistan and building a democratic government there. He serves on the boards of the National Endowment for Democracy, American Abroad Media, the Rand Corporation's Middle East Studies Center, the American University of Iraq in Soleimania, and the American University of Afghanistan. Uh, Ambassador Khalilzad uh, is a scholar, a gentleman, and may I say, a dear friend. Our other panelist today is, is Ambassador Robin Rafel, who is also an old friend. Uh, and uh, she is a US diplomat with three decades of experience. Uh, in 1993, she was appointed as the first US Assistant Secretary of State for South and Central Asian Affairs. Uh, Ambassador Rafel also served as US Ambassador to Tunisia. Uh, she served from 2009 to 2014 as uh, coordinator for non-military assistance to Pakistan and has a long history of engagement with the people of the region uh, who all look upon her as a friend. So let us try and have a discussion on Afghanistan and by extension Pakistan. Why is Afghanistan even important to the United States? Ambassador Khalilzad. Well, first, uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be here uh, for two reasons. One, I have many good friends, uh, former colleagues, uh, people I've worked for uh, at Hudson, so I'm delighted to see uh, them and to be with you. And second, uh, uh, I think the issue of Afghanistan and Pakistan, the, the war that's going on there, uh, does not get enough attention, and uh, there hasn't been much discussion of it in, uh, in recent weeks and, and months. Uh, uh, and I applaud the Hudson Institute. I know you've been very engaged and active on this issue, so uh, delighted to be here. Congratulations to you. Uh, on the importance of Afghanistan, I believe that Afghanistan is important uh, for several reasons. Uh, one is that uh, the, the war against terror and extremism is one of the defining challenges of our time. And uh, uh, Afghanistan is uh, the place from where 9-11 was planned and attacked, and we took on the role uh, to not only to bring those who perpetrated that uh, horrible attack to justice, but also not to allow Afghanistan to become a sanctuary again. Uh, we have invested a lot in Afghanistan, and Afghanistan uh, has come a long way. Uh, it's not the same place uh, as it was uh, uh, 15 years ago. Uh, um, we have built a state that exists uh, 
uh, institutions of that state exist that didn't exist before. Uh, um, we have a, a, a government uh, that is elected uh, and is recognized widely as a legitimate government of Afghanistan. And it is in a region where uh, a lot of important things are going on besides uh, being one of the centers of extremism and terror. And we want, uh, uh, I think we, it's in our interest to be able to interact, shape, uh, and engage that region. And our presence uh, in Afghanistan provides us with that opportunity. I believe that uh, uh, the war against terror will be a multi-generational struggle. And uh, in that struggle, uh, we have a role to play. Uh, and uh, um, being in Afghanistan uh, and success in Afghanistan would put us in a stronger position uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, deal with the, the, the broader challenge. Uh, right now, uh, as ISIS is being uh, defeated in Iraq and Syria, the ISIS is trying to find uh, other places to go to, and one of the areas that they are targeting is uh, Afghanistan. Uh, uh, and that's uh, this morning's attack, uh, Washington time. Uh, so uh, I believe for, for, for reasons of geopolitics, for reasons of war against terror, uh, for uh, reasons of the long struggle uh, uh, as the Islamic civilization uh, works its crisis out, uh, uh, we uh, um, uh, being in Afghanistan and, su and succeeding in Afghanistan is important. Now, Afghanistan has difficulties, certainly, and we will obviously talk about those. But I think uh, uh, at the time that Afghanistan faces challenges, we have to recognize the progress that it has made, uh, and and that uh, we we uh, if we fail in Afghanistan. Uh, um, and those who will work with us are abandoned, what lesson does that leave for others in this bigger struggle that we're talking about uh, um, more broadly that is taking place? Uh, we have uh, good friends, uh, partners uh, in Afghanistan. There are, while there are risks in the region from the changes that are taking place, there are opportunities as well. And, and uh, so I'm, a strong, I'm a, a strong believer not in the option of abandoning and letting Taliban win, uh, not uh, 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 in the option uh, of uh, just leaving things as they are. I'm uh, in favor of uh, changing the balance on the ground, which uh, uh, from one of uh, uh, being a stalemate that uh, has favored the Taliban in recent months to one of uh, favoring uh, the government and the coalition. And the coalition. Uh, so uh, I, 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 I'm encouraged by what I hear about what's going on in terms of the review uh, 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 to, to weaken uh, the adversaries, to strengthen the government, uh, the, to strengthen it not only militarily but economically and politically, uh, but also uh, to... Uh, to uh, 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 review the, the policy towards Pakistan because I think one of the big problems of Afghanistan is the policies of Pakistan, the sanctuary policies. Uh, we have treated 
the sanctuaries as sanctuaries. We should not, uh, in my judgment, treat them as sanctuaries. As far as we're concerned, they shouldn't be accepted as sanctuaries. If, if uh, we are attacked from those places uh, or from leaders who are based in those places and they order attack against U.S. forces, they order attacks against uh, coalition forces, they attack against Afghan civilians, they attack against Afghan military, we should say well, uh, that they will not be treated as sanctuaries from our point of view, that they will be legitimate targets uh, for, uh, for, uh, for a response. Uh, we should, in my view, try to see if there, uh, there can be some understanding between Pakistan and Afghanistan. Uh, Pakistan is an important country as a legitimate interest. Those legitimate interests ought to be respected, but we have to get to what those legitimate interests are and try to see if the Afghans could, could get uh, be, to accommodate those and, and, and uh, uh, perhaps we have to do something to shake things up to, in order to get to that discussion. Let's come to that in a little bit. Sure. Because I have some of the ideas that okay. you mooted, some others have mooted and all that. We'll go into that. But before you, you get before me I, started. Yeah, start. no, I know, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's good to have you started. Yeah. But let's ask uh, <laughs> Ambassador Rafel uh, if she agrees, A, with... Uh, the importance of Afghanistan as stated by Ambassador Khalil Zad uh, and B, uh, the winning uh, strategy or do you feel that muddling through is the best option and since that's already happening, why can't we just declare victory and leave? Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Hussein, for inviting me and it's a pleasure to be on uh, the uh, stage here with such very illustrious <laughs> colleagues, okay. both of whom I've known a long time and had the, the various highest regard for the work that they've done. Um, to answer your question here, in the first instance, I agree with everything uh, that Ambassador Halilzad has said about the importance of Afghanistan. Clearly, it's very important. Um, and in addition to the list uh, of uh, reasons that he has, I would add one very important one, and that is the commitment that we've made both implicitly and explicitly to the people of Afghanistan. I think that's extremely important. Uh, Ambassador Halilzad uh, referred to the kinds of progress that we've made. We have made some. Uh, some of it hasn't been sustained. But there is a beginning, and it, it would really be a shame to let it drop and a bad signal to everyone. Uh, so I think that's really very important. And it's important to remember that the reason we want development and better governance in Afghanistan is that ultimately we believe that that will bring stability, inclusion, and so on, uh, which, which will bring us much further along the path to our goals in Afghanistan. Now, in terms of what we ought to, what the U.S. government ought to do, um, I'm much more a middle-of-the-road person. I don't go for a, one extreme or the other. Clearly, we shouldn't walk away. Uh, th that would be um, you know, absolutely wrong, in my view, given the investment that we've made, given the importance of the region. So I really don't consider that an option. Um, by the same token, I don't consider all-out war you know, against Pakistan and other neighbors and considering the whole uh, region a battlefield uh, the best solution either. Um, in my own view, um, 
and I side with, I know there are different sides to this uh, argument, but I'm a believer that at the end of the day, there has to be a negotiated political solution in Afghanistan, uh, which will undoubtedly um, include bringing some of the conservative elements, <laughs> the Taliban and so on, into some sort of position in the government. Um, and uh, you know, I think, and I, I think eventually the thought, the idea would be that in time uh, they would have less influence and, and less authority because the people would, in time, um, uh, move away from some of the more conservative ideologies and so on. But I think in the first instance, a political solution is necessary. In terms of how you bring people to the table, we can talk about that label later. It's complicated. I realize that. There have been many uh, attempts that haven't worked out all that well, but I think it's an essential element here. Well, I used to have a teacher who always told me that if something hasn't happened in 20 years, first figure out why it didn't happen in 20 years before you can figure out how to do it yourself. So here's my question. Okay, everybody's been saying this since 1993 when the Taliban first surfaced in 1994. Uh, we need to figure out how to make them some kind of, some part of Afghan's politi Afghanistan's political milieu and recognize that they represent a hardcore uh, conservative Pashtun element in Afghan society. Um, why has it not worked? Why have, for example, all the efforts between 1994 and before 9-11 to try and talk to them, uh, all the efforts that have gone in between, uh, are we just chasing a pipe dream uh, of bringing people to the table who really don't want to sit on the table? and whom, who might actually be persuaded uh, to talk only when they feel that they have no other option but to talk. Ambassador Khalilzad, you seem to have that perspective as well, like myself. I personally don't think that the Taliban are uh, as easily reconcilable as those who say that, you know, we should just have a political... I agree, there should be a political solution, but who will the political solution be between? And I refer you to a, an article you re wrote in the Wall Street Journal in June 2016, in which you said, and the title of the article was Breaking the Pakistan-Taliban Alliance, which basically posited the concept that the alliance between Pakistan and the Taliban was the real problem, not the Taliban per se, who can be talked to as a local extreme player uh, or, uh, or, or an Afghan internal issue. And the words you used, this was right after Mullah Akhtar Mansoor had been hit. So, so what you were saying a little while ago about America being a little more robust in conducting uh, military operations on the Pakistani side of the uh, Afghan-Pakistan border, um, that had happened. And your words were, this is a golden hour, uh, which can help the United States finally secure Islamabad's help in stopping Al-Qaeda-linked terrorists and the Taliban. Um, why did you consider it a golden hour? Do you think the golden hour has been missed? I think that the golden hour was missed. Uh, I, I think we did get uh, Pakistan's attention with the strike. I believe that some people in the administration had the view that if that strike had been followed by additional strikes against other targets, uh, and Pakistan had been 
talked to or communicated to that further steps would be taken with regard to not accepting the sanctuary anymore. And along with that, a push for some sort of Afghan-Pakistani reconciliation or agreement would have been pursued. Perhaps there may have been an opportunity. But the president decided, President Obama, in my judgment, to leave the problem, that decision, to the next two successors. And the successor is now grappling with what to do, but in a position that has become far more difficult, a position where the American withdrawal, a very substantial withdrawal, the success of Afghanistan in part is that there was at one time over 120,000 foreign troops in Afghanistan fighting, and now there is less than 15,000 foreign troops, 8,000-something Americans. So from about 100,000 Americans, we're down to less than 10,000. And there were restrictions imposed on the commander as to what he could or couldn't do, that the focus would be largely helping the Afghans. Weren't the restrictions primarily not to provoke Pakistan and not to upset it? Well, essentially that the Afghans will take the lead or the fight against Taliban, the U.S. concerns will be al-Qaeda, and then we added ISIS to the target. And thus the attack today in part is within a framework that has changed already. My judgment is that we had a golden hour. I don't want to just blame the Obama administration. You also mentioned that during 9-11 we had an opportunity where we had the world's attention. People knew we were very determined, that we were serious, and even President Musharraf, who's in town or will be in town, I understand, is said he reluctantly acceded to our demand and that with regard to the Taliban, our attack in Afghanistan, but he was very clever in terms of then denying that there was a sanctuary that he was allowing in Pakistan. In fact, President Bush sent me once to talk to him and he flatly told me there are no Taliban in Pakistan. Give me their phone numbers, give me their addresses. I said, Mr. President, the leadership is called the Quetta Shura. And Quetta, I understand, is in Balochistan and Pakistan city. And the other is called the Peshawar Shura. And you're asking me to give you their names and their phone numbers and their addresses. So, and because of a variety of issues, we we didn't take advantage of that hour. But I believe, like Robin, that the ultimate answer is a political reconciliation. There's no doubt about that. That's the that's that's how it has to end. But the question is, what are the conditions that are needed to get to a political settlement? It's not that the Afghan government hasn't tried very hard to get to a political settlement. The Afghan government has tried to talk, reach out to the Taliban, has tried to reach out to Pakistan, in particular this government, at enormous cost to itself. President Ghani went to Pakistan, 
went to uh, the military headquarters, uh, put a freeze on relations, uh, the security relations with India, uh, made statements that were not very popular in Afghanistan, given Pakistan's record, recent record, although Afghans remember fondly Pakistan's role with regard to the Soviet period, where the hospitality shown by Pakistan, the support shown, all of that over time was dissipated. Uh, uh, so what are the conditions that you need? You can't really have reconciliation if the uh, insurgency feels that the time is on its side. Uh, you can't have a, a, a successful negotiations if there is safe sanctuary. Uh, they say, why sh uh, you can't have a, a successful negotiation if they think the Americans are going to leave, that you increase your commitment and you put a deadline on it immediately, that the commitment you've made for increased effort will end. Uh, within a year. You don't, can't get uh, good conditions if you say Taliban are not our problem. Taliban are your problem to the, uh, to the Afghan government. So you, you, uh, so, I mean, I could go through a litany of, of, of what I would regard as factors that on our part, on, maybe on the Afghan government part, I can't speak as much about them, that has sustained the insurgency, in a sense, by what we have signaled. Because if we say, you're not my enemy, I'm not going to target you, you've, you've allowed the insurgency to go on. If you say, you respect the sanctuary, you won't attack it, you have allowed the insurgency to go on. Uh, you, uh, so I would say uh, that this administration, uh, in my view, needs to adjust some of those things. It needs to, first of all, strengthen the military balance so that the balance does not shift against the government any further. That is a must. That's the baseline. The military balance has to change, and it has to change in favor of the government so that the insurgency doesn't believe that time is on its side. That's one. Two, Pakistan has to confront some choices. We, as the country, as, as, as a sovereign nation, we have the right of self-defense. If from bases in a, another country, we are attacked, as much as Pakistan is a sovereign country, we are also a sovereign country. We have the right to, to defend ourselves. It's a principle of international law. We are there under UN Security Council resolution to begin with, and now at the invitation of the Afghan government based on a bilateral agreement. So we should not be accepting a safe sanctuary. As a sanctuary should not be acceptable to the United States. We ought to make that very, very clear. And I hope that H.R. Uh, McMaster will make that point when he sits across the table uh, uh, when he is in Islamabad. On the other hand, we should be respectful of Pakistan's legitimate interests. I am uh, not in favor of uh, kind of war uh, re region-wide. We should respect Pakistan's legitimate interests. They have, they have given two documents to the U.S. government about their interests in the, in the past. You may be familiar with them. I was an intermediary on, on, on both occasions. Uh, yeah, right. And they have given a document to the Afghans uh, uh, as to what their list of re requirements are. Uh, now, uh, I think we ought to release those documents. I call today that those documents ought to be released so that the world can see what is it that uh, Pakistan's legitimate interest definitions are? Uh, 
so the Afghan people can see what is the, the, the definition of a legitimate interest. Are those legitimate interests that they are putting in those documents? I'm, I'm not in a position to, to, to we, talk we, about We'll this. come to Pakistan's legitimate <laughs> interests versus, versus psychological interests later. <laughs> right. Uh, you, you, you mentioned them in your, in your great book, uh, The Envoy, which uh, I must commend you on. We haven't had a public function for you here since you came out with the book, and I commend it to the audience. Thank you. Because it does describe uh, the uh, – and, you know, I am I'm somebody who's represented Pakistan, and, uh, and there are moments when I have had this problem as well, that, you know, yeah. are we actually – asking for something specific or do we have some vague fears in mind so so it, it does create a problem we'll come to that in a second but robin um before before we come to that what is your sort of middle of the road uh, explanation for what's gone on in the last quarter century in afghanistan and pakistan especially in relation to the taliban okay um I'll begin with, with your question, and then I, I want to uh, respond to some of the things that Sala said. Um, it's not, it, what I would say in simple terms, um, it's not just a problem of the military not succeeding and therefore there not being enough troops or, you know, enough commitment or enough money or whatever. It's not just that. Right. You know, I think many observers agree that the Taliban wouldn't be as successful, as successful, I mean, it's not hugely successful, but as successful as it's been without some kind of support from the population. It's not just the safe havens on the Pakistan side, although those are clearly a problem. There's some problem internal to Afghanistan that allows the Taliban uh, to continue to prosper to the degree it does. And, uh, you know, among other things, there, uh, as much as the Afghan government, and, you know, obviously, they really try hard. I mean, Ashraf Ghani, you know, sleeps three hours a night or whatever, works terribly, terribly hard, and thinks terribly, terribly hard uh, about how to improve things in the country. But he hasn't been able to extend the writ of the Kabul government throughout Afghanistan. So that has left opportunity for the Taliban uh, to take up space. So it's, there's a political problem internally as well as a military problem. M minor question here. You didn't answer the question of then the Koita Shura, the Peshawar Shura, the period between 9-11 and 2005, because after all, Afghanistan was devastated by the civil war right. that preceded. Then it was further devastated by the American bombing, etc. Right. And yet the Taliban fell and kind of folded. So this argument that they have internal support, I'll, I'll just read a sentence from Ral's piece, which said, Taliban's resilience is primarily due to the strategic decision of the Pakistani military and intelligence services to provide sanctuary and support to these groups. What those who say that, I think, are suggesting that, yes, there would be religious conservatism in Afghanistan, but Sayaf represents religious conservatism, and he's part of the government. And so, so what about the Taliban movement as such, which came out of nowhere in 1993-94? Well, my point was merely that the current government in Afghanistan, um, again, and I, I hate to criticize them because I know how hard people work, 
but it isn't working terribly well in many places, and people are fed up with corruption. And all these places are only along the Pakistan border. Sorry? Are all these places only no, along no, the no, Pakistan no. border? No, I'm, I'm just making the point that there, is reasons, uh, there are reasons other than military reasons that the Taliban uh, have made some inroads. That's all. Now, the earlier period, uh, you know, you've heard the complaints a million times from the Pakistanis and others that we, you know, we pushed the Taliban towards Pakistan and then we got distracted in other ways. So, you know, I think that was a consideration. Um, Iraq and so on, that was a consideration at, at the time. Um, I, I certainly agree with Zal that we cannot um, say that, we'll, that we're going to leave or say we're going to surge and then leave as we've done in other places and, and expect any serious cooperation from the Taliban. That just won't work. Um, and I also agree, and this is a very, very important point, and I think it was made by uh, Ambassador Rick Olson in an editorial the other day, which was we cannot simply say to the Afghans that this is your problem, you know, that uh, we, we got into a mantra of Afghan-owned, Afghan-led in terms of a negotiation reconciliation process, and that just was not practical. Uh, you know, we have to uh, own up to the fact that we're um, parties to this whole problem. And my view is that the U.S. has to exercise far more leadership in trying to get a negotiation going. Well, you were, yeah. Well, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the two points. One, of course, the key thing for, from an, an American perspective is what is our objective? And then is there a good relationship between that objective and the strategy that we follow? Is there a good ends and means uh, relationship? And at times we, uh, we have talked very ambitiously and, and the means have not been consistent with it. And of course, uh, since we are in the middle of a, we're in a city that is in the middle of a significant review, I, 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 I hope that the administration will keep that in mind uh, as to, uh, uh, as to that. Now, on the negotiations uh, and the insurgency, I believe uh, that in a lot of countries in that area, there's po uh, potential for instability. And I, for example, I could speak uh, extensively about the problems of Pakistan. I could talk about the ethnic problems, Balochistan. I could talk about the uh, problem between the civilian government and the military government. I could talk about uh, the uh, Pakistani Taliban and the, uh, the threat they pose. I could talk about uh, the various other uh, groups that are active there. And if then I could say to Afghans, uh, uh, together with the Indians, that they should allow opposition groups, arm them, provide them with safe haven, and then whitewash that to a degree, not, not that Robin is doing that, uh, uh, by saying, well, Pakistan has problems, uh, the government has problems, uh, uh, the, the civilian government really doesn't control uh, uh, anything. It's the military that controls everything. Uh, well. On, at, at one level, that's obviously true. Uh, as it, what Robin says is obviously true about Afghanistan. The government uh, has issues. Uh, this was a state that was totally destroyed. Uh, 
uh, at nothing uh, uh, as someone uh, who went there after 9-11, I can tell you uh, what the situation was, uh, and it has come a long way. But how do you come a long way in an environment where you're more powerful by numerically, militarily, uh, is out to undermine you? Uh, there is no other word for it, unfortunately. Uh, that there is a, I can assure you that besides providing sanctuary, I know this for a fact, there is subcontracting of attacks that's taking place by the security establishment. That they give people money to go attack this target, and you get the second half of the money when you have accomplished that task. Now, how do you uh, uh, deal with an environment like that other than uh, if, if you, uh, that what we have in Afghanistan? Yes, the Afghan government has governance issues. It must address those. Uh, there are people in this room who have spent time work, uh, dealing with these issues. But in an environment where uh, the security situation is as, as difficult as it is, and you can't say the Afghans are not fighting hard, their sacrifices of the Afghan forces is enormous. Uh, I mean, the number of uh, soldiers, policemen, uh, who have killed in Afghanistan, and yet they were hoping that this, that force would collapse by now because of the U.S. withdrawal. It has not happened. So I am very sympathetic personally to the idea that the mother of the problems here, we're talking about the mother of the bombs, today was dropped in Afghanistan. The mother of the problems of Afghanistan is the sanctuary issue because so do, you, do, you don't think that the child is, doesn't exist. The child does exist. Is, yes. But the mother is on the other the side. other side. Because the people, you know, Mullah Omar died in a hospital in Karachi. Where, where, how does he get to a hospital in Karachi? Someone who's on our list uh, as someone to, to, uh, to, uh, that we were after. Is this a state sponsorship? <laughs> Uh, we'll come to that because uh, you, 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 you've talked about it also uh, yeah, well, in a report. I mean, about... we can't solve a problem until we recognize right. it for what it is. Uh, I mean, we may say it's too hard. We have to find another way to deal with it. But you can't sugarcoat it uh, by saying as if it doesn't exist. Uh, uh, the problem does exist, but what are the ways effectively to deal Ambassador with it? Ambassador Riffel, you have generally <laughs> been you have generally been reluctant uh, to be as critical of Pakistan as many other Americans are willing to, and I understand that because we do need people who are intermediaries. I, we need Pakistanis who can serve as intermediaries between Pakistan and the United States instead of every Pakistani who who talks to Americans being burnt back home. So I understand that, but <laughs> but no 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 she's uh, I don't know but, that, uh, but 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 the point uh, I would like you to address is is there a way to address Pakistan's quote unquote legitimate concerns about Afghanistan and then get Pakistan to work with the U.S. in the same direction because so far it seems at least Ambassador Khalilzad seems convinced and. I must say that I also have similar views that the Pakistani side has actually aggravated the Taliban problem for Afghanistan, for the United States, and for itself. And look, here I must say that while Ambassador Khalilzad was talking about the sacrifices of the Afghan military, I should say 
that we should also recognize the sacrifices of the Pakistani military in fighting terrorists inside Pakistan. That said, that said, Pakistan has positioned itself on the horns of horns of a dilemma. It fights certain terrorists and it does not fight other terrorists, and that includes the Afghan Taliban. And that has been the 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 real problem. So how does one nudge Pakistan first into acknowledging that that's what has happened? Okay, they can say we didn't do it deliberately, but it has happened. I mean, we didn't want to support these guys, but since they were Afghan refugees, we had large numbers of them. They were all in Pakistan. They organized themselves. They created a shura for themselves, etc., etc. How do we make sure that they do not remain the organized Pakistan-based force that they have become? And how does America do that? so that both Afghanistan and Pakistan can find security and both can find prosperity. Very good question. Uh, first of all, I would say uh, I don't, I'm not reluctant to criticize Pakistan. I just like to criticize them uh, in a rational fashion, and I think sometimes that's not exactly what happens. Okay, fair um, enough. Uh, and I would... I would say that I think part of the problem here, and you know, of course, the, the safe havens, the sanctuaries, are a huge problem. There's, there's no doubt about it. All I was arguing is that they are not the only problem. Fair enough. Not I think we can all agree problem. on that. And that is and a Khalil, factual. We can all agree on that. Oh, sure. Well, I just said that. Yeah, yeah. That they have this problem. That's sure. Um, and I think, with regard to Pakistan, you have a bit of a chicken egg problem here. Uh, the Pakistanis are hedging. I mean, we all know that. That's why they uh, let the safe havens continue. That's why the Haqqani network is still there, and so on and so forth. Well, why are they hedging? You know, I think they're hedging because they don't know how things, which direction things are trending in Afghanistan. Uh, and, you know, first we're going to For 15 stay. years they've yeah. been hedging, yes. Yes, well, Is there any way to assure them? <laughs> no, no, for 15, well, more than that. But No, no, uh, I'm just saying since we were there, now yeah. I'm... Uh, okay, so they've been hedging, here. but for 15 years they haven't known which way things are going to turn out in yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, and I think that what we need to think about is how can we make it clear our policy and how we think things are going forward. So the Pakistanis have a fixed or relatively fixed point against which to determine their policy and, and judge what they ought to be doing. As long as it's not clear, I, I would guess, you know, you have to ask them, but they would, they'll continue to hedge. And of course, what, what the Pakistanis are most afraid of, and, and you know, whether it's right or wrong, um, or accurate or inaccurate, they are concerned, I believe, that we will leave prematurely and that uh, the Indians will take America's place as a predominant power, you know, influence in Afghanistan, and that, um, you know, they will be left scrambling. So they're hedging. Now, you know, you can say till you're blue in the face that that's not accurate, but I think that is a perception there, which which uh, accounts for the hedging. So we need to be clear. Look, I don't want to. I don't want to fall into Sean Spicer's trap of historic comparisons. Yeah. But are we arguing that somebody really believed that Czechoslovakia and Poland had to be annexed to Germany because they were threats to Germany's security, and so therefore they kind of had the right to move in? I think that Pakistan has been 
a lot more, shall we say, aggressive in organizing the Taliban on the Pakistani side. Even the election of Mullah Habibullah Khund, the announcement said the Shura met in Peshawar to elect Mullah uh, um, uh, uh, Mansoor's successor. So those things, I think, I think, hedging is maybe not adequate to describe what is happening in my country. I think it's an ideological preoccupation rather than just hedging. Hedging one can address. One can talk to them and say, hey, we will be the guarantors. We can get the Russians in. We can get the Chinese in. We can get the whole world in. We can get the United Nations to guarantee that the Indians will not come into Afghanistan. Afghanistan will provide that guarantee. That proposal was mooted a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But that is not acceptable. So. Ambassador Khalil Zad wrote once that he that he feels that Pakistan's uh, terms for a new bilateral relationship in, uh, uh, with Afghanistan amounted to Afghanistan subordinating its sovereignty to Afghanistan uh, to Pakistan. Uh, I, 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 if, I wish that papers the, would be released, yeah. and I think if they were, yeah. uh, that's the result. You, well, my judgment. As someone who has read the paper, <laughs> yeah, the point is. So, so how do we get around that? I mean, one can deal with real and substantive issues without going blue in the face or, or, not, or, or, or whatever. What do you do if something is not really something that can be reduced to substantive, um, so, so, to anything substantive? I mean, what is the threat? Okay, are there Indian military bases in Afghanistan? There will be no bases. We can remove them. Espionage centers. Maybe the Americans can work together with the Pakistanis to eliminate them, etc. But if at the end the whole thing is that no, 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 we won't be happy till every Afghan stops listening to a Bollywood song, that may be too difficult to deliver. Sure. Well, I mean, first, I, uh, as I've said repeatedly, I, I think Pakistan has a legitimate interest as a sovereign yeah. country. Uh, that has to be respected by everyone, ourselves included, Afghans as well. We have to get to those, what they are. Uh, and I, uh, as I said, and I've written this in, in my book, when President Bush asked me to go uh, and I uh, uh, to talk to President Musharraf, and, uh, and I sat with him, he was very hospitable, and I asked him after uh, some niceties about what was bothering him about this new Afghanistan. Because I, I said to him, and uh, that my mission from the president is to help deal with those issues. The, the, the president has instructed me to, to, uh, to uh, find out what his concerns are and then work on dealing with them. Uh, and he raised two issues with me, uh, and I uh, will just quickly say those. One, he said the Indian consulates, uh, he mentioned. And I said, uh, what about the Indian consulate? He said, well, they're used uh, as for espionage and for uh, uh, support of Pakistani insurgents. And I said, uh, Mr. President, to the best of my knowledge, these are mud houses, so this in Kandahar and Jalalabad. But since uh, you're a great friend of the United States, the President has a high regards for you, I, I'll make you uh, an offer. Send me some ISI officers, and I'm, uh, I said in, in those words, I'll put some CIA folks with them, and we will do a virtual occupation of those consulates. And if and I promise you that since your people will be with our people, if I discover that they are uh, smuggling weapons into Balochistan or some such thing, we'll shut them down. 
I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sure it, this would not be pleasant for some Afghan friends to hear that, that I would say uh, we would shut them down. And he said, Although that might be a good solution. Well, I, you know, he, re, he extended his hand, I won't forget, saying, wow, a deal. I said, all right, sir. Uh, he sa I said, what else is bothering you, Mr. President, about this new Afghanistan? Where your friends are uh, uh, preeminent outside powers there, the Americans. Uh, and he said, the Afghans want to build a dam on Kona River, uh, and that's going to affect our agriculture in Punjab and uh, you know, water. I said, Mr. President, uh, you know, I, uh, I live in Afghanistan now, and I deal every day with the Afghan government. There is no such plan that I am aware of that they are about to build a dam to block Pakistan's uh, water. It's a huge project. They're working on smaller things at this time. But why don't we do something, get the World Bank or USAID, or there are water issues between Afghanistan and Iran, you and India, to do a technical feasibility study. I mean, there are solutions, precedents. said, great, all right. So that's it? He said, oh, oh I have one other thing. I said, What's that, Mr. President? He said, you're not fighting the Pashtuns correctly. Uh, I said, oh, that's outside my lane, but what are you talking about? Uh, and he said, you're not using enough force or something. Uh, you know, they, they don't react well to this very uh, discriminating uh, going into the, the homes. You should be using tanks and artillery and so on. And I said, Mr. President, that's not my lane. Uh, I had people from our side. I said, they have heard you. They perhaps will take your uh, advice into account. But... I'm not done yet. I said, now that you're finished, can I ask you something in, in, in return? He said, what? I said, what about these uh, Taliban? Uh, and I, I told the rest of that story already. So it's very hard to get uh, to the kind of core concern. If those were the core concern in exchange for which he was willing to take something, I certainly was in a position to be helpful to, to make that progress. Our relationship with President Karzai was very strong. He was very open to suggestions. In fact, the day before I went, and I, some of you may not know it, he called uh, President Musharraf, and he said to him that I know the American ambassador is coming to see you. Whatever you agree with him is agreeable. Uh, I agree with it as well. Now, are they negotiating in good faith? Wait a minute, I'm not done yet. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> what I would say is that this hedging thing led us, led the United States, to sign in 2005 a partnership agreement with Afghanistan to say to, to signal to Pakistan, we're not going to abandon that. I got, and, and Skura Libby is here, who is a senior advisor. The president of the United States repeatedly, because of this concern, said, we will not make the mistake we made in Afghanistan uh, and not after the Soviet withdrawal to abandon it. We will not abandon Afghanistan again. And he signed a strategic partnership agreement. Under Obama administration, we signed couple of other agreements uh, to show a commitment long-term to Afghanistan. So what are they hedging against? Uh, is, is, uh, I know that we can say, well, we can change our mind one day. But if you start hedging, everybody in the world hedges against all kinds of potential uh, unlikely scenarios, then where will the world be? I, uh, this becomes self-fulfilling then. Uh, you hedge that... Uh, uh, India is going to take over Afghanistan, so therefore I must control Afghanistan. Then it's pushing Afghanistan in the very directions that the, that the, that the Pakistanis say they don't want. The more Pakistan follows hostile policies towards Afghanistan, the more Afghanistan 
uh, uh, moves in the direction of uh, closer relations with India. Uh, and, uh, and I believe that, uh, that uh, uh, maybe this is a problem that we can't solve. Uh, I, I certainly am willing to, uh, to admit to that, that even the policy that I would favor may not produce the results that we seek. But we must try that before we come to a judgment, in my view, uh, to, uh, to, to see what their, the legitimate interests are. Can we get to that? Can we deal with it? Can we uh, uh, increase both the risks of the current policy to Pakistan, and if they are willing to change, increase the reward for them? I think we have to have a higher risk, higher reward mixed uh, in, in dealing with this issue. So that's the point. We'll come to next, but yeah. before that, no, I, I totally agree that we need to try. Right. I'm, you know, I'm a glass half full person. I think right. it's possible. You know, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't yeah. think anything's impossible. Uh, but all of these things about yeah. the Indian. Consulate, right. which is cold word, code word for whatever India was doing right. uh, in uh, Afghanistan, uh, water sharing on the on the Kunar River. It's it is an issue. It's a problem, and it needs to be dealt with from both sides' point of view. Um, <laughs> how you fight the Pashtuns and other matter altogether. <laughs> but that you know, I I would make the point that those things haven't been persistently followed through on. So here we are, 10 years later, or whenever your conversation was in 2017. And it's not, I don't believe it's clear to the Pakistanis what our policy and plans are. And I don't think it's, it's not clear to me either. I mean, I realize we're in a transition period and, uh, you know, the new administration uh, has to get its ducks in the row, in a row, and that's all fine. But I think it isn't clear, and therefore, Hedging, and you're absolutely right, everybody's done it from time immemorial, is likely to continue. But I okay, think so, if we So what can the U.S. say that will stop them from hedging and going after the safe haven? But it's exactly what, what Saul was talking about, having revisiting a conversation where you say very candidly, what are your... But that conversation was had, according yeah, to that, and yes, it didn't but, have any effect. So well, why will it have an effect now? Because there's a lot of water under the bridge since the time that conversation was had. But, but, but the same conversation was had eight years before that, and Later, a lot of water had gone right. under the bridge by the time Zal came on the scene. Yep. So my point is, do we keep having that conversation every eight years? Uh, first answer, first question, yes, we do. Second element, however, <laughs> the second element is, however, that things evolve everywhere. Uh, you know, they're shifting sands in the region and so on. And I think it's possible you might get uh, some nuance of a different response from the Pakistanis if you tried that again now. Uh, and in any case, it's worth trying. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, in my book, uh, Magnificent Delusions, I cite something very interesting. So I came upon a paper that General Ayub Khan presented to of uh, President Eisenhower in 1959. And I compared that paper about Pakistan's concerns on Afghanistan. At that time, there were no U.S. forces in Afghanistan. There were no Soviet forces in Afghanistan. This was 1959. By the way, just for the record, I was only three years old. So I wasn't, so I wasn't involved in that cons particular conspiracy, especially for the Pakistani media. But ev and uh, everyone since then. Though. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> and then I compared that with the famous paper that General Kiani wrote for President Obama. 
And of course, there were certain paragraphs that had changed because they were talking about more recent events. But the rest of the arguments were the same. So I am the only Pakistani at this uh, uh, at this uh, uh, at this podium, uh, and I'm somehow not convinced that you keep having the same conversation. And just because more water has gone under it, something has to happen that will make people who do not think that the world changes, and therefore they need to change too. Uh, something has to happen. Is just my two cents worth. But we'll move on. Um, Ambassador Khalil Zahn. Sir. Uh, in October 2016, five former ambassadors and two uh, former generals uh, who had all served in Afghanistan. The ambassadors were James Cunningham, James Dobbin, Ryan Crocker, Ron Newman, and yourself, and former generals Petraeus and McChrystal, and then uh, intelligence uh, people with intelligence backgrounds and, uh, and analysis, analysis like Bruce Ryder. You all prepared a report titled Forging an Enduring Partnership with Afghanistan. Do you recall that? Yes, I do. It had, I'm almost doing it as a, in a court of law. Um, and it actually made some very harsh recommendations. And I'll just run through them, and then I'll let both of you uh, sort of comment on them before we open it to the, to the public. Point number one was that the U.S. Should, should, uh, could take further steps to pressure Taliban sanctuaries within Pakistan with or without the support of Islamabad. This was the recommendation. Second recommendation was that the Obama administration and Congress had already started reducing coalition support funds to Pakistan, but even, but even today's reduced amounts of U.S. assistance should be cut further. The third was targeted economic sanction, sanctions could be selectively applied against certain specific organizations and individuals. We can come to what organizations you have in mind. I have a few in mind, but we shall not go there right away. And then the fourth and the most important was Pakistan could even be designated as a state sponsor of terrorism, a finding that would not only be embarrassing to the country, but also harmful to its economic prospects given the likely influence on potential investors. Um, some people found these too harsh. That's why they did not become part of policy at that moment. I believe that they are being considered again by the current administration. Um, explain each one of them and why do you support them? And why do you think they would have the desired effect? Well, the very title of the paper uh, was in response to uh, what uh, my friend and colleague uh, Robin has said that the, the, the belief that Pakistan is hedging, perhaps, uh, that it's uncertain whether the U.S. is going to stick around uh, because of some of the uh, approaches of the previous administration in which it would announce uh, uh, some increase and then announce simultaneously that, uh, the time at which that uh, force will come out, that maybe there is a need for an enduring commitment uh, to Afghanistan and maintaining uh, 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 that commitment with forces, not only for reasons of Afghanistan, but perhaps also for the broader uh, 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 war on terror, uh, that especially as this would be a multi-generational, perhaps, struggle. Now, the Afghan government has taken the view in order to facilitate negotiations. Uh, I don't know. I think the Obama administration may have been okay with this. That if the issue of U.S. presence is an obstacle to uh, negotiations or peace, uh, 
that they are willing to put that on the table as to under what conditions, if there was peace, the U.S. could perhaps totally withdraw. Now, some, there obviously among those of us who were participating in this discussion, there may have been difference of view whether regardless we should maintain some force or we shouldn't. That's a separate issue. So that was uh, one. Two, uh, uh, with regard to uh, uh, pressuring and the sanctuary itself, uh, the point has been that uh, many of us believe uh, uh, that if the sanctuary is not put at risk, or if, uh, to put it in the other way, if it is put at risk, that might motivate Pakistan to not to allow it on their territory. You don't think it will harden Pakistan's resolve to stick to its policies? Oh, well, I, I'm not, of course, one that rules it out. Uh, I don't know for, for sure if we have, it would be presumptuous of me to, to know uh, how committed is Pakistan uh, to this policy. But certainly the price will go up. Uh, uh, the risk will go up. Uh, I don't think Pakistan was very happy and that uh, this attack took place against Mullah Mansur uh, on its territory. They were quite worried about it. Even there is the issue of if you even had to do it, why didn't you do it while he was in another country, so to speak, rather than doing it in Pakistan? Because he was going back and forth between Iran and Pakistan. Right, for example. Uh, <laughs> Which is another country with sanctuary. <laughs> right, we, was, we can talk about that. And, and uh, all of the steps that we were outlining there for the administration, it wasn't really for the Obama administration, what the paper was written more for the, the during the election and for the next sure. administration, because we were all in the know that the Obama administration, had, uh, the policy was to hand it off without a collapse to the next administration, is to uh, how do you incentivize Pakistan? Uh, what are the range of tools available uh, to the United States government to incentivize Pakistan uh, to engage seriously on a negotiated... Uh, More uh, sticks array. than carrots or well, carrots and sticks. I uh, personally, in this case, we were talking most, uh, uh, more about uh, sticks, but I have uh, personally believed that we need to, uh, uh, to first get their attention, that, that we, Business as usual isn't going to work anymore. It's, uh, designation as state sponsor of terrorism? We'll uh, consider the designation. We didn't say it should be done. It should be considered if these other steps have not produced results. Uh, but my of the view, uh, I continue to be of the view that we should be active, as Robin said, in trying to see if something could be worked out with, between Afghanistan and, and, and Pakistan on the issues that separate them. We should be a catalyst. At the same time, we should be pressuring more to incentivize because I think the, 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 the problem is more with Pakistan than with Afghanistan. I believe that because uh, I know that on Afghan territory, Pakistani Taliban get killed uh, by us, by Afghans. We, they get arrested and handed over to uh, the Pakistanis. So I believe the, 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 the problem is more on, the, uh, on balance on the other side. And therefore, we have to uh, put more pressure, more costs uh, uh, with them. But if they cooperate, we should signal that we will put a lot more on the table for help and assistance and stronger relationship with Pakistan. 
uh, I think uh, 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 that would be my recommendation for this administration. But in order to do that, higher maybe cost, higher reward. Higher reward, and maybe you need a intervening variable or factor of the to create the golden hour that you have indicated that you're serious, and that may be going after some of the sanctuaries first. Now, I, I think some people will say, no, let's not do that at the beginning. Let's do that later. But I believe you have to get their attention that you're serious. And for that, you may have to do a series, not a single kind of one, and then uh, follow that with, with the kind of policy that I've outlined. Final question to you before I move to uh, Ambassador Rafel, and then we open it to the public. What do you say to those who say that, you know what, Pakistan is a nuclear-armed country, sure. It, uh, uh, it does not yield to pressure easily. Right. Uh, its military is by and large in charge, and they calculate, and that right. in the past, whenever pressure has been applied, they have been able to resist it. Sure. And therefore, these pressure ideas are wrong. Yes, we have a problem in getting them to do what we want, but let's just keep doing what we are doing because that's the only option we have. What do you say to them? Well, I, I, that's, those are all facts. Uh, uh, I can't, we can't dispute that. Pakistan is a nuclear power. Pakistan has a strong uh, military. Pakistan, uh, the military does decide foreign policy issues. No country would like to be pressured. Uh, Pakistan would not like to be pressured. I accept all that. Those are all reasonable propositions. For us, in my view, that's where I come to our objective and our strategy. Uh, for us, in my judgment, uh, then the, we face two other options. Uh, then the option is then to harden Afghanistan against this, you know, which will take longer, be costlier. Uh, uh, you know, the Arabs have not accepted Israel. I mean, it's not a good analogy. Uh, at least most of them still have not. Some of them have. But yet Israel developed, took a lot of efforts, a different environment. I'm just giving it not as a, as a similarity. You have to ho keep strengthening Afghan institutions, uh, perhaps accelerating some things. We were slow in building Afghan security forces after nine, and we went in there uh, so that uh, uh, they can resist better, deal with some of the problems that Robin talking, uh, was talking about, which becomes harder in an environment in which the insurgency is making progress, you harden Afghanistan against it and you keep the current level or higher level of pressure on Pakistan in the hope that maybe a future Pakistani leaders, whether military or civilian, could decide. Uh, that is the, uh, the, if we are committed to success in Afghanistan, for not abandoning Afghanistan, for not uh, giving up on our objective, those are, I think, the two, uh, two, two paths uh, or some mix of the two. Uh, that you, uh, uh, which I would favor, you keep the hardening part, you strengthen the Afghan security forces because I think that's a huge asset that we have built in Afghan security and armed forces that can do a lot of things we were doing in large numbers, taking a lot more casualties than we are doing now. We, you, 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 uh, you do uh, continue to do that and do the pressure and testing of Pakistan and work for a for a, for a reconciliation and a, and a settlement. But if Pakistan is unwilling, uh, and, uh, I'm not advocating that we go to nuclear war with them over this issue. Okay, Ambassador okay. Rafe. Uh, let me first say that we should indeed continue to harden Afghanistan. I would argue more on the 
governance side, or at least the same oh, on the governance side, because right. that's necessary in any case right. for sustainability in Afghanistan. It's not easy to do. Many people have worked on this process, and it takes time, but it's essential to continue it. Um, demonstrating to Pakistan that we're serious, I absolutely agree with this, but I think we need to demonstrate that we're, in the first instance, we're serious about a way forward in Afghanistan that takes account of their interests and is credible, feasible, and so on. Sure. You start there. If you really get nowhere, um, and I don't think this has been anywhere near fully tried, if you really get nowhere, then you consider other, you know, other options. Uh, you just have to bear in mind that, you know, if you go into the sanctions in Pakistan, you, you might just for the sake of balance go into the sanctuaries in, in Afghanistan, which I know we've been doing in part because we're based there and have forces there and so on and so forth. On some of the other things that you listed, uh, from the October 16, um, uh, report, um, decreasing CSF. To a degree, we've already done that, the military assistance program. And I think the, the guide to us should be, to the U.S., is that money getting us what we want? You know, and if it's not, and I know this sounds very transactional, I think it should be exactly that. If it doesn't get us what we want, then we decrease it. You know, uh, as, as the Pakistanis often remind us, it's reimbursement for things that they've expended, things that they've done. We are not getting that. Why should we pay? I think that's, that's perfectly fair. Um, in terms of targeted economic sanctions, um, you know, we need to bear in mind that the fundamental reason that we do economic development, whether it's Pakistan, Afghanistan, or any other way, uh, any other country, it's enlightened self-interest. We do it to um, to accelerate inclusive development, economic growth, opportunities for employment, all these things which we believe, and I, I do, well, the development community does, uh, will we'll bring political progress and stability. And that's in our interest. So I think you have to be careful uh, when you talk about using uh, economic assistance as a uh, coercion that it's really your interest that you're talking about there over the longer term. Um, state sponsor of terrorism, I don't think that would be particularly uh, productive. But again, I'd reiterate where we need to begin, as much as we might have done it before, is a serious conversation where we are, uh, you know, uh, project confidence that we know what we're doing and that it makes sense, um, and then see how the Pakistanis respond. Okay, well, we have about 15 minutes for questions. So I'm going to take only questions. Anybody who wants to make a speech, wait for it and go back home and do it there. Um, so, <laughs> Ambassador Teresita Schaefer. Noon. We finally, in the last two answers, started to get to the subject, which is U.S. options. And essentially, there were two that were looked at, two paths. One was build everything on Pakistan, basically as a strategic alliance, which you might call in shorthand the Holbrook model, and squeeze Pakistan until it falls in line with our strategic objectives. 
which I assume is one of those under consideration now. A third one was brought up, namely hardened Afghanistan against all the things that could go wrong. I will abide by Hussein's admonition not to make a speech, though I'd love to. But let me ask you this. If we were to decide, contrary to both of your recommendations, that the United States decide to let nature take its course in Afghanistan, what would Afghanistan, what would happen, and is not that the result that we have to beat, and beat hopefully by a significant margin? Well, if we did that, which I do not favor, we would be back to the situation perhaps of the 1990s. We've been there, we've seen this movie, we've been there and done that. The Clinton administration, which Robin was a part of and I was helping from outside, did that. Let nature take its own course. We were even... As hard as we tried not to. But you tried, but you know the reality. I could tell lots of stories about that if you want. But may I put a footnote here? Actually, it wasn't nature taking its course purely in Afghanistan because Pakistan was helping nature take that particular course. It's not that we haven't been there and done that. But that involves risks. And as a nation, we'd have to... Uh, consider that as to the benefits and risks to, uh, and in addition to some of the uh, implications for what we have done, the commitments we have made, the implications now that we are where we are in the broader struggle that we are very much involved in, the message that it sends about U.S. commitment, about U.S. resolve, given what we have said and what we have done. So, uh, uh, yeah. That's certainly an option, but as I said, I regard that as a very risky option for us, and I do not favor it, but certainly that is, that is, uh, that is an option. I, I can't add anything to that. I totally agree. Bad idea. I appreciate the usefulness yeah. of thinking it through, um, yeah. but I do think it's a bad idea. Right here in the middle. Hello, Center for International Policy. Really appreciate this great discussion. Now, I've been following Afghanistan for an awfully long time, and not as long as you have, but I keep hearing... <laughs> not every, as long as I have. Yeah. Every, every year since 2001, <laughs> we, we won't say, say well, how many years. <laughs> we've got to... We're not quite ready to... The Taliban aren't ready to come to the table. We've got to degrade their fighting ability, and we've had this belief that time is really on our side. And Ambassador Khalilzad, you said that uh, Taliban must be convinced the time is not on their side, otherwise there's no incentive for, to negotiate a political settlement. In fact, almost every year since 2001, our position has gotten weaker. But, you know, we bought some time with the surge, but it's hard to say right now that, you know, time's on our side. And I think I totally agree with Robin. We've got a, there's got to be a political settlement, but there has to be much more of a sense of urgency on all parties, including the Americans, to bring this about, because... I never felt that the Obama administration was more than eh, sort of their commitment wasn't the sort of commitment I think that would bring about a settlement. So how do you add that? How do you, you know, to to, to uh, I mean, how do you convince all parties that a settlement is in their interest? And I think there's, that can be done with the Taliban as well as the other parties. Well, I think that I disagree with you uh, that since 
2001, uh, uh, time has been on their side. No, I disagree with that. Uh, I think that uh, uh, at least up to 2005, uh, with the presidential election 2004, in fact, uh, uh, based on discussions with, uh, with uh, people who were close to the Taliban, time was not on their side. They saw an Afghanistan that was moving in the right direction, uh, uh, there was broad support. Uh, there was a lot of of uh, positive feeling all across Afghanistan that uh, uh, a new day uh, was was starting. But I think in two thousand and five, uh, it started to change. Uh, and the question is, one of the questions is, what happened that changed that? I happen to think there was a decision taken in, uh, in Islamabad to make it uh, to, 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 to uh, unleash uh, this force that was being nurtured during those previous years. And uh, now the idea of getting to a settlement, which we all say yes, uh, nobody is here saying no, no settlement. You're raising the question, what is more conducive to a settlement? I see, frankly, uh, uh, again, two kind of options. I'm sure there are others, but two that come to my mind. One is and that uh, um, Pakistan changes. If I am correct about the importance of the role of Pakistan, that for its own strategic reasons, uh, for national interest reasons, says, decides that they will help with a political settlement, but no more military uh, use of Pakistan for those who do not want a political settlement. This is just too dangerous for Pakistan national interests. We can get, uh, if our legitimate interests are, through a negotiated settlement, if their interest is that Taliban should have a role in the, in, the, in the political process. The Afghan government, whether we like it or not, <laughs> they are saying they will, uh, they will, they will do it. They just, agreed with uh, Gulbuddin Ekmanshar uh, uh, to come into the reconciliation process, who was one of the insurgent leaders uh, dating back to the 1980s, was regarded as a hardliner. They're saying they made a reconciliation agreement with him. So Taliban, uh, or how different are they? Uh, Khani they're, talked they're, about they're younger than uh, Hikmatyar right now. So. Some of them are uh, the soldiers, but, but some of the, uh, I, told, I don't know how much younger he is. Or, uh, uh, but in any case, there is a model, for example. There is a unity government with uh, two forces. Why couldn't you have another force added to it if, if there was a, a will to do it? It's, it's not that the Afghan government does not want that. It is that the Taliban do not want that. The, the, the only meeting in which the Afghan government, the Chinese, us, and the Pakistanis participated in Mary near Islamabad, that the Talibs were, came to that meeting, they were accompanied by ISI officers. They brought them there. Uh, yeah, I, but, but, but that may have been just to physically ensure their I think the current Pakistani ambassador shared that meeting. Who's here? If he was here, I would be, uh, he would confirm that in my view because it's a public uh, knowledge. So if Pakistan decides, oh, fellas, uh, we will help you get a political settlement, negotiations, uh, you can uh, come to the Serena Hotel in Islamabad and negotiate, but militarily, uh, no more sanctuary allowed, or the balance shifts decisively on the ground where they, they come to a different judgment. 
and that may be in between options. Those are the two scenarios. Unfortunately, you get sometimes settlements when the balance of the military phase is relative almost over. Uh, and we're not there yet. So what kind of a settlement can you get? I've got several people whose hands have been up for a long time and Sorry, a I, little time, but maybe you take them all look, at once. I'll take your question and then yours. Yeah. I'm a, an independent researcher. I'm wondering if the current uh, if the current constitutional discussions along the tribal uh, borders with the Pakhtunwa and the Fatah have any uh, have any bearing on Pakistan's uh, on Pakistan's pressure on the Pashtun tribes to bring them to reconciliation with uh, to the reconciliation process vis-a-vis -vis the Taliban. I don't. I don't no, think no. so. I think, no. I think that's more I, of an internal yeah, issue. Yeah, it's an internal issue. The Pashtun, uh, uh, the, the tribal areas have wanted to be, uh, or the, at least some elements within the tribal areas have always wanted to be part of the province and, and get rid of the colonial relic called the Frontier Crimes Regulation. Um, so be, yeah. be, have the constitutional protections of citizenship as well as the constitutional responsibilities. Uh, it's a difficult and complex process, but I don't think that that is directly connected. It may have an effect in another way, and which is that Pakistan's past deniability that the tribal areas are not completely under our control will probably erode, which may actually be a good thing from Pakistan's point of view, because then the temptation to use that deniability too frequently may, may diminish. But that, that's about the only impact. Um, yes, and then I'll let uh, Dr. Weinbaum ask the last question. Thank you very much. It's a very interesting discussion. Uh, my name is Nazira Azim Karimi. I'm correspondent for Ariana Television Network. I'm from Afghanistan. I don't want to, you know, express my feeling as a journalist, but as an Afghan woman, I totally agree with uh, Dr. Khalilzat opinion. Uh, you know, every single day I talk with a different, I mean, congressman, senator uh, at the U.S., and they are totally agree that Pakistan is a safe haven for the Taliban, all other insurgency. Why the United States government doesn't or didn't show a strong reaction, and especially for you, Dr. Khalilzad, Afghan embassy, Afghan amb uh, people has a high expectation to do, because in the past, different way, diplomacy way, different kind of it didn't work. Do you think that there is any solution are uh, also what is it in the Pakistan relation with the United States? Just uh, Afghan people as a expectation for United States to bring a little serious and strong pressure to Pakistan to change their policy toward Afghanistan. Thank, Thank you, you Mr. very Benjamin. much. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have discussed the complexity of U.S.-Pakistan relations. Uh, there are lots of factors involved. I have, as you know, uh, have favored, uh, uh, even, even when I was in Afghanistan, I raised the issue of the sanctuary issue uh, because I thought this was going to become a bigger problem unless we address it in a timely manner. But it's, that doesn't mean it's easy to address. We have discussed the complexities. I have disagreed with the, my Afghan friends, uh, uh, including President Karzai at that time, who thought that we weren't doing anything uh, on this issue because of some conspiracy theory that we wanted the war to go on because we want to justify our presence. He and I uh, 
disagreed on that. It wasn't that the U.S. wanted sanctuaries in Pakistan. The U.S. wanted from those sanctuaries that the attack take place against the Afghan soldiers, against our own soldiers, against coalition soldiers, but that this was a tough issue on which there were differing opinions in the United States as how best to approach it. And some problems are very hard, uh, and perhaps uh, uh, there are no easy solutions to them. Um, although I had a, 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 my own personal perspective as to what uh, would be the right approach, maybe with better promise of it working, but no guarantees that it uh, that it would work. So uh, I can understand, uh, I, and I used to tell the president, President Karzai, that I understand this frustration. I understand. Uh, is, uh, is desire for us to do more uh, to deal with this problem, but to recognize it, that at least he was upset for a while that we were denying that the sanctuary existed, while privately we said, yes, it did exist, publicly we didn't. That caused them some confusion, but we had our own reasons because of the dependence that Robin in part was mentioning. So I understand the Afghan frustration, the Afghan concern very much. Uh, but uh, and re reciprocally, I would like the Afghans to appreciate that it isn't some uh, hostile view attitude towards Afghanistan or a, or some conspiracy theory about uh, you know keeping this war going because that sort of has benefits for us. That I don't accept, uh, as, as I'm always saying it on Afghan television when I'm in Afghanistan. I'm, I'm, uh, Often uh, on TV, they're pushing back on this issue, but I, I do believe that uh, they, they have, the Afghans have a legitimate, a legitimate concern on this issue. Um, and uh, I will let uh, uh, Dr. Marvin Weinbaum ask the last question. But before that, I just have a minor observation. You you said a little while ago that from uh, after 9/11 and until 2005. Uh, uh, the Taliban were not a factor in right. Afghanistan militarily. And, militarily, and that they were probably being prepared to be unleashed uh, right. and, and were unleashed. Um, what made the United States blind uh, to the fact that a force was being raised uh, that could threaten American as well as Afghan control? Uh, you know, you, from from from. 2001 to 2005, you had primacy. The Afghan forces were not even created yet. In a created yet. So, 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 what made you totally blind? Uh, well, I don't know whether we were blind. I mean, uh, we are, uh, you know, we were a country of enormous capability, uh, certainly. Uh, but you know, it doesn't mean we know everything correctly at the right time. I mean, even for a country like us, we have limitations. It took us a while uh, to understand it. Uh, I think Pakistan also, in my judgment, uh, knows, uh, knows the Pakistan system, the Pakistan security system, knows us very well uh, and, and knows how we uh, do our business. So they were trying to intentionally to make sure <laughs> Uh, to, to that we uh, are not uh, as as aware, and it takes us a while. It took us a while, and two, I think they were cooperating with us on some key issue. That's the complexity that I think Robin perhaps was alluding to, which is that they were helping us on the war against Al Qaeda. Uh, we were uh, using for a while their facilities for operation. We were overflying Pakistani territory for operations. 
Uh, we uh, were using their locks uh, for getting supplies to Afghanistan. We had a good relationship with President Musharraf, who, who often uh, expressed himself extremely well uh, in terms that we could understand. Uh, and, and we couldn't, it took us a while to, to I think, appreciate that there may be, uh, you know, during the day he was our friend, but maybe at nighttime he had some other plans. Uh, but it, it, it took a while. Uh, and he himself now admitted that, of course, he was uh, nurturing the Taliban. Uh, although when we were there, he was saying, give me their phone numbers and their addresses. So it took us a while. Do you, you want to address I, I'm just going to make one point which hasn't been mentioned and I think as uh, most people would agree had an effect. And that is that we did get distracted. We yeah. got distracted. Okay. Fair uh, enough. Intel-wise. I don't believe, I, I have to say this for a historic reason. Some people say that because we went to Iraq, we neglected Afghanistan. I say I went to Afghanistan after we had gone to Iraq. And again, Mr. Libby, uh, a great American, is sitting there. Uh, that I, we got, not because I was important to go there. Don't no, neglect anything. No. But we got, I got more assistance uh, for Afghanistan, more attention than was the case before the Iraq thing. One thing that we did suffer, and I don't know whether some of our assets, some assets, Limited number of assets, not a lot. Some assets were, were had to go because of the challenge. But otherwise, Afghanistan benefited, in my judgment, from Iraq because all of a sudden we unleashed so much resources that, uh, that we got more resources for Afghanistan on the reconstruction front than we had uh, before. We got the start of the Afghan buildup of Afghan security forces, which uh, we, we hadn't done before. 2000, the invasion of Iraq. So, yes, you could make a case that some assets got distracted, but this uh, popular uh, myth that when we went to uh, Iraq, we forgot about Afghanistan and Afghanistan got connected is not right. It was, an, it was an analysis not, problem not rather really than true, a Robin. No. hard intelligence problem. Okay. Uh, 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 thank you. Thank you uh, on Afghanistan when I was there. Okay. <laughs> Have we in this discussion missed asking what is, I think, the crucial question? Yes, sir. Why has Pakistan con continued to view the Taliban, Haqqanis in particular, as an asset? There, yeah. This could be a very rational and should be a rational question, sure. unless you believe that they just want to dominate Afghanistan. Right. They've been holding on to this asset since the beginning. So we, we, is why, why do you think that, Marvin? You know, well, that's all, well, let me, let me exactly uh, yeah, come had, to that. I'd like you to answer that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the question is, will they not change their policy until they view the Taliban as a deficit, right. as a liability? Right. That would get them to change. So we have to ask, why have they done this? I what think, could change into liability? Okay, okay. Uh, let me think. I think what could change, yeah. first of all, why have they done this? Right. They have wanted to keep in reserve yeah. friendly Pashtuns. Right. Hedging. They have wanted to keep them. Why? Because from day one, they never expected that the project in Afghanistan was, a was going to succeed. They always felt that it was going to fracture, 
the international community would walk away, uh, whatever it is, it wouldn't work, they would fight among themselves, and therefore they needed friendly Pashtuns to go back in and to provide them with a sphere of influence uh, and more. Sure. So the, what is the answer? It seems to me none of this will work until they are convinced they don't need them right. as an asset. And I can't think of anything that works except the notion that they come to the conclusion that, in fact, Pakistan can succeed. And that's where our role comes in. Can we contribute to that? And until we are able to, I think, demonstrate that this is a going operation, I believe that all of our pressure here is not going to work because they still consider their national interest here. Afghanistan's the neighbor is dependent upon that because otherwise India's there. Mm -hmm. uh, well, look, I mean, uh, let me answer that as the, uh, you know, in 1989, the friendly Pakistan, the friendly Pashtuns included Sibratullah Mujaddidi, uh, Pir Gelani, uh, they included uh, 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 Gulbadin Hekmatyar. So it is, uh, they included Abdul Rab Rasul Sayyaf. Basically, Pakistan, first of all, lost more and more and more friendly Pashtuns, and now thinks these are the only friendly Pashtuns. And your argument seems to me to be to just wait and see till these people also become a liability. I think that some of the other policies could actually make them into a liability, just as Hikmatyar became a liability eventually. Sayaf decided that he wasn't going to remain with, when, when the Taliban came about, he decided he didn't want to stay with the Taliban, he wanted to cross over. It's a poor policy to try and have people from another country as proxies unless and until you can completely control them and Pakistan cannot complete, uh, completely control any, any Afghans. Well, one other thing, uh, Maureen, for, uh, would be good to get your comments on maybe uh, here or outside. Because uh, what President Ghani did after uh, his election he, I think, uh, probably, I, it's my view, uh, I don't want to attribute it to him, and that he thought what the way you are thinking, that uh, maybe we Pashtuns of uh, the, in the now uh, leading Afghanistan could, on behalf of the government, give Pakistan the kind of assurances that it is entitled to, as legitimate as a national interest, and he did things that was politically very costly for him, uh, politically very costly for him. Uh, and it didn't work. Why? Uh, um, I don't disagree with you in a fundamental way, because I think ultimately there has to be a, a mutual accommodation between Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, because uh, there is no real realistic alternative to that. The question is, how do we get from here to there? I think Afghans, uh, and I, I know President Ghani quite well, and uh, many other leaders, obviously, I know them quite well. They are much more willing. Those who are dominant. I'm not talking about all Afghan leaders, because there is a, uh, it's as you know, it's very complex. I think uh, the responsibility and the burden is more with Pakistan. If I, 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 I know the, the best of my kind of analytic ability, I think they, and, 
they have uh, the, the Afghans are willing. Can I just add, because I think that what and, you uh, see in Pakistan yeah. is they're pursuing two foreign policies. One foreign policy, and I think they've come to this, is to look at Afghanistan now and say, you know, a successful, prosperous, peaceful Afghanistan really would be in our interest. Right. If, if we could get it. So that's could, the policy in the English language press. And no, let's no, go and... I, I think Ghani, I think Ghani went in with that exactly that idea in mind. Right. We cannot succeed without Pakistan. Right. Therefore, we're going to right. try to solidify that. Yeah. He didn't have the political support. And I don't, most importantly, that's the second... I don't know whether you are right about that, though, Marvin, that it didn't work because he didn't have the political support. It was one of... Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I'll be finished in a second. Yeah. The other policy is the one I've been talking about. So it has this one policy here, which is accommodation, cooperation. The other policy is, no, we need proxies, we need reserve. They're trying to pursue both policies at the same time, and they're contradictory. Right. They're contradictory. though, Marvin, I wouldn't say they're necessarily contradictory. Well, I say they're contradictory because the proxy policy assures that there cannot be that kind of stable peaceful, prosperous Afghanistan. And uh, then will not get the, uh, the government to ultimately accommodate. Now, Ghani has uh, taken a much harder line in some way than uh, President Karzai ever did. Well, I think this is becoming an in in insider's discussion. Thank you both very much, and thank you very much to the audience as well. Thanks a lot. <laughs>